0: On this episode of The Playbook, I have Joe Preston, president and CEO of New Balance, which actually was a product I sold before I even graduated law school, been a fan for decades, and we're gonna talk about how do you take a company from $100,000 in revenue to soon to be over $10 billion? Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have the incredible Joe Preston, President and CEO of New Balance, uh, which has evolved over the years. Joe, welcome to The Playbook.
1: Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, I have to share a story with you because I think you will know the loyalty I have to your brand and how long I've been loyal to the brand. When I was in law school, uh, very hungry for money, by the way, I would look for any way to make money. And I had a summer uh, externship in San Diego at a real estate law firm, and it started at 9 a.m. Well, there was a company called Roadrunner Sports that was just starting out and they needed salespeople on East Coast time, so I could start at 4 a.m., work five hours, rush down to the law firm ten minutes away, and have a full day. And so I learned all about running shoes. I learned about the material and you know all types of different things. And it was amazing because that was my first exposure, truly, to New Balance and what they were at that time and who they marketed to and how exceptional. They were as running shoes. Uh, and so to see the brand evolve into the masses from kind of a what, what I had learned at, at that time, and this, I'm old, so years and years ago, it was meant for the m- more mature runner, maybe a heavier runner, very stable shoe, uh, very, very well-built and uh, performance shoe. Uh, but as the Nikes were coming into the world and the Asics kind of had their niche, I saw a great uh, future for New Balance. And it's so nice to see where you're going, Joe? Just starting with, I just saw New Balance has their first digital flagship show uh, store, even. So I thought we'd start about, you know, your own vision with this evolution of New Balance and the appeal it has to the masses.
1: Well, first of all, Roadrunner was a trailblazer at the time; they were the first one to offer a catalog and really disrupted retail at, at that time. But New Balance uh, introduced the first hundred-dollar running shoe back in uh, 1982. And so it was, still, it was the 990. It's still in the line today. It's still an iconic model for us. And uh, many of the magazines, when they talk about what should be in your closet in terms of footwear, the 990 continually comes up. So it's just a, such a staple. When it was introduced, it was worn by the top runners in the in the country and around the world. And over time, those runners became doctors and lawyers, et cetera. And, you know, our clientele just got a little bit older. The other piece of it is that we offer all of our product in extended sizes and widths. And so, you know, people that had a wide width really only had one alternative, which was New Balance. So they were very loyal to the brand and continue to be loyal today. But what's exciting today is that you see a New Balance being introduced to a new generation uh, here in the U.S., and I think that really began probably about ten years ago when we entered into baseball. Prior to that, we had just been a running brand; we hadn't really uh, used athletes as endorsers. And we entered into baseball, and today I think it's about twenty-five or thirty percent of all major league players you know wear New Balance.
0: And that has carried over into the digital space, not just with your flagship store, but I have an eleven-year-old baseball fan. Uh, and I noticed when we we're playing his online uh, baseball game in the esports side of things, I see New Balance plastered everywhere on so many different players. Yeah, yeah. Uh and it's you know it's it's a whole new world from our catalog at Roadrunner Sports to see New Balance on the video games. Uh, but that evolution has turned into an omni-channel retail evolution for you. And what is the breakdown in attention that you're giving to the different channels today? You know, I mentioned, you know, just gaming, uh, for example. You have yeah. major league sports, and of course, you still are very strong in the retail space. The nice thing about having those doctors, lawyers that were getting older. Uh, they need your shoes more and ever as they get older and older. Uh, as I have a flat foot, a wide foot, and, you know, have been loyal for all these years since the 80s. The older I get, the more I need new balance. <laughs> but I yeah. still want to attract these young kids as well.
1: Yeah. So yeah, last year, prior to the pandemic, we introduced this mantra of controlling our destiny. And it was all based on the retail disruption that had been taking place for about a decade. And that was all fueled by the digital revolution. And quite frankly, we were behind. We weren't keeping pace with how the consumer wanted to shop where they wanted to shop. We have been a traditional wholesale, uh, wholesaler. So we sold to retailers. Retailers had that direct relationship. And uh, we really tried to accelerate our direct-to-consumer from not just a business standpoint, but to try to get closer to that consumer. And obviously when, when COVID hit, all 3,500 of our New Balance stores around the globe close within like three or four days. Every one of our retail partners weren't considered essential retailers, so they closed as well. And the only way to do business was online. So we clearly accelerated the efforts that we had been uh, taking place. And then we also wanted to enable our retailers to maximize on their their digital sales. So literally 100% of our of our front end of our company was focused on, on digital sales throughout this, this past year. We've seen our own sales online explode during that time, as well as, you know, if we look at any one of our retailers, the amount of business that they're doing online is still elevated from where it was prior to the to the pandemic.
0: And a lot of more traditional brands, as they moved through the pandemic and really leaned into the e-commerce space and direct selling found some great new customer insights and analytics that they may not have been aware of. I know one of the other things for older executives that I talked to is, you know, we were a little bit more resistant to remote working, but we are also very surprised on the power of the analytics and insights that we received besides the size, scope and scale of a direct to market audience that was extraordinary and brought in some extraordinary results as well. What were some of those customer insights and some of the things brought forth by your analytics team uh, that maybe surprised you or just encouraged you?
1: Well, we really formed an analytics team last uh, mid-year of last year to try to make sure we were gleaning insights. So we try to take insights at all parts of it, not just the post-purchase trying to establish what they purchased to try to predict what they're going to buy again. But we use it in our design. We are, we are out there showing colorways to consumers to try to crowdsourcing, if you will, to try to narrow in what colorways that we should be looking at uh, going forward. You know, we're monitoring how people are posting pictures of our uh, running shoes versus the Pegasus, for example, from Nike. And, the, the you know, so you can gleam all sorts of insights from that. And that will help you not just from a product design standpoint, but also how you should be talking to the consumer.
0: And along with that is a new emotional aspect, uh, sustainability, mental health, a variety of things that I never thought would invade into the personalities of these brands as you know I ran Lee Steinberg for years and you know many many shoe deals and apparel deals throughout the years Uh, but the importance of sustainability uh, with different partnerships collections and things that you are doing have really put you at the forefront in my opinion of all the shoe companies what are some of those initiatives that you have and how important are they to you personally?
1: You know, I think we've always had it within our purpose, our brand purpose as it as an organization. We really didn't talk about it that much, but clearly the consumer, whether it's the environment or all elements surrounding it, as an example of people are making decisions on purchasing your brand based on where you stand. And so uh, we've tried to get some of that word out through some of our collaborations. You know, one of our one of our ambassadors is Jaden Smith and he's He's uh, He connects with younger consumers, but just as importantly, he is so committed to the environment. And so that's one example where we've been able to partner with some of our ambassadors to, to try to get that word out.
0: And, you know, we've talked about your priorities uh, with the company. What are some of the priorities? I know uh, there's been a lot of transformation and change throughout the last 20 months uh, with the quick onset of the pandemic. But yeah. what are the priorities with the most important part? Of you've been with your company for over 26 years. Yeah. You know, you went to a very entrepreneurial school, Babson, maybe the best entrepreneurship school that I know of uh, far before its time, just like New Balance was far before its time. But you've been a very employee centric uh, executive manager, director, and of course, leader. How and what are those priorities today for employees as you see it?
1: So, you know, I did go to Babson. And I got an education there, but probably my better education in entrepreneurship came at New Balance and, and working for the Davis family. And, you know, Jim Davis uh, bought the company in 1972. It was doing one hundred thousand dollars in sales. And that what he that's what he bought it for. And then, you know, the company grew to about one hundred million and uh, was one of the top running shoes in the early 90s. We almost went uh, under uh, as transitioning from U.S. to overseas manufacturing. But I've learned so much from him traveling the world and learned more about international business uh, from Jim. And his entrepreneurial spirit runs very deep through our organization. And I think our culture and our entrepreneurial spirit has really allowed us to reshape the way we work. I think it's the biggest unlock that we've had during the past 18 months or so. You know, we've always been teamwork oriented there's a lot of been a lot of collaboration we talked about moving quickly but i'm not sure if we really were moving as fast as we needed to and through the pandemic we brought at the agile way of working into our global leadership team we established these 90 day sprints with small teams think like seal team 6 so we weren't looking for these big 30 person teams if you will and they had the authority the autonomy and the accountability, which really what everybody wants when they're uh, leading a project or part of a project to develop action plans. And so over the last 17 months, there have been eight or nine major initiatives that we have uh, gotten after. Some of them directly related to getting closer to the consumer, but other ones about connecting the dots on our go-to-market to to make sure that we can uh, meander through whatever is thrown our way throughout this uh, pandemic
0: you know, there's certain products that you don't have to experience uh, and therefore a brick and mortar store is irrelevant. You know, if I'm gonna go buy an air fryer, it, i looking at it in the box at Target isn't gonna make a difference in my life. Uh, but for shoes, it's something that you touch and you feel you put on, uh, you know, it, it's an experience and it's one that I think maybe I'm old that I get excited about. You, you know, I still, I'm 53 years old. And when I go to buy a new pair of New Balance, I'm excited to go to the store and yeah. look at them all. And and sometimes I buy the same ones I've been buying since the eighties, <laughs> but yeah, I still yeah. like to see the new ones and yeah. try them on and do that. Um, I know you have these 90 day sprint teams, you know, how important is the brick and mortar side of things moving forward for New Balance?
1: Well, it is one of the 90-day sprints that's going on right now, basically the future of of retail and our approach to it. But I I do think it's changed traditionally. If you think about how you would measure retail five years ago, it was based upon that store and how much volume you were directly generating from that store. Now with the whole Omni experience, buying online, picking up a, a pickup in store, it's a much different way to look at it. So we're looking at it in context to give you an example that if you were to pick a major city, if you will, and you have a major hub in the city, and then it leads out like spoken wheel, if you will, and you've had these other satellite stores that surround it that may be smaller. And they function not just as an opportunity for someone to go in, they can function as, a, as an omni experience, or they can function as a fulfillment for your, for your online business where someone's not even coming into retail. So it's clearly changed over the last five years and we're trying to make sure that we don't lose with all of it, the essence of what you're talking about. When someone does come into the store you know, to buy footwear, particularly a $100 product, there's a level of customer service that they're looking for. Fit has always been a differentiator for us as an example. And we wanna make sure that element is one of our differentiators, our value proposition that we bring to our store in the future.
0: You know, in that fit in quality has not changed over all these years. But the story uh, for New Balance seems to have changed. Obviously, the revenue has changed a lot since the first hundred thousand dollars. I think, you know, it would be my opinion. I know you're the 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 lead. So I I would say I would not be surprised over the next few years to see over ten billion dollars in revenue, just so people get an idea of how successful New Balance is. Uh, Last question real quick. Yeah, how has the story changed over these twenty-six years since you've been there? You know, I'm a branding person, a marketing person like yourself, an yeah. entrepreneur, and I believe the lessons in the frequency in a brand is told by that story. How has that changed over over the years to now?
1: I mean, I, I think the core elements of our story have not changed. Where where we have always been a product centric organization. So quality, fit, performance. All of that remains core to, uh, to our messaging, if you will. We've also been really quiet about who we are, how we operate. We believe that we can bring that to light as again, consumers are looking at purpose and what a brand stands for. And we're really comfortable with how we operate. And we feel as we begin to tell that story a little bit more that people will come to us. The third element is the lifestyle. You know, This intersection of sport and uh, fashion really can create so much energy. And around the globe, you know, the the energy that we have around our collaborations and our new introductions for lifestyle is the reason why that, you know, we're going to grow 35% this year to 4.5 billion. We're on track to 5 billion next year. And later on this year, we're going to be rolling out our strategic plan to actually get to 10 billion. And, and I'll, I'll let you know how we how that makes out.
0: Well, it's not surprising. I will tell you the rest of my story. So Not only did I start my career selling New Balance shoes and did very well, by the way, and helped me pay for law school, but, you know, sitting there with my 11-year-old on the video game and I looked at him when I saw that NB on the shoes and I asked my son, I said, hey, man, I said, is that New Balance? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, dad, they're super cool. And so, uh, you know, for me to sit there and say, gosh, if somebody would have told me way back in the 80s when I was working with Roadrunner Sports in San Diego that uh, my 11-year-old someday would be telling me that New Balance is the coolest shoe. Uh, You know, obviously it's a great value and a great fit and completely stable and comfortable and and sturdy. And, you know, the quality speaks for itself over the years. But cool, I wanted to congratulate you. Uh, You know, it's incredible how cool your shoes are. And of course, in the sneakerhead world and the kids world, that's probably the most important thing, um, even beyond value. But as a father and a person who's used those for decades, I I still lean towards the quality. But it's cool that now not only do I have quality when I run, but I have cool behind me as well. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, that's a testament to our brand team and our product team. They are so in tune with what the consumer is looking for and are able to deliver it and, and messaging that's appealing to it. So yeah, that's pretty exciting.
0: Well, you are a quality executive and a cool executive now. Joe Preston, president and CEO of the incredible brand and company, New Balance. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.